This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello, and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Emmy Birch, and today we're talking with my friend, Rochelle Kuramoto, on purpose, people-centered leadership, and volunteerism, and so much more. This is a conversation for anyone that is seeking to know what you do best and what you do and how it impacts the world, how you are needed. In case you haven't heard today, you, my friend, you are needed in this world. But during this conversation with my friend, Rochelle, we're going to talk about how we can take our stories and impact everyone for good. Who is Rochelle Kuramoto, you ask? Rochelle is a brand and content guru who's committed to bring out the best in other people. Through brand development, innovation, and leadership, in this conversation, we explore how to tell your story why it is important to do so, and how all of this ties back to purpose-led branding, skill-based volunteering, and living your best life. We're going to talk about storytelling, branding, and so many ways to find power and develop your personal brand. You are going to walk away from this one with tools and ideas and motivation as we wrap up this year and look ahead to the next. It's all about people. And I cannot wait to hear what you think about this episode. If you want to join the community as we wrap up this 2021 year, go jump over to patreon.com slash the illuminate pod and join us as we have extra conversations, content, and even book club over there. If you can take a moment to like and review us, that's a huge part of our purpose. We want to make sure we have every opportunity to illuminate as many people as possible. You are one of those people that we are thankful to be illuminating. I really look forward to sharing this conversation with you today with my friend, Rochelle Kuramoto, and how we keep people at the center of purpose. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Emmy Birch, and I am joined today by Rochelle Kuramoto. Hey, Rochelle. Hi, Emmy. I'm so excited to talk to you. We have run a marathon together. We have randomly met up in Atlanta. Tell the listeners, who are you? Who am I? Well, if you ever check out my social media feed, you will see the TLDR, too long, didn't read, is that I am a wife. I am a mom of two teenagers. I am the mom of an old, once really, really talented runner dog, now lazy lover. Um, I am a, I wouldn't say serial entrepreneur, but have, um, founded a couple of different companies. I am a brand practitioner and writer by career. I am a marathon runner. Um, so I can eat ice cream. I am a writer for passion. Um, and I am, uh, an active community volunteer. Wow, you really cover every single piece, which is why I'm really excited to bring you on here. And I think we're going to walk away with a lot of ideas for how we can do a lot of what you do in our own lives. How did you 
get into this world of marketing and branding? How did that, how did you find that passion? You know, um, that was a little bit by, by chance. Um, so when I was finishing my senior year of college, I had a job offer to go become a consultant and that was going to be fine. You know, it was, I had a degree in literature and a minor in business and it seemed like, okay, you know, I can communicate well. I don't mind telling people what to do. This seems like it makes sense. And then the school called and they said, we have a spot in a graduate program if you'd like to stay. And that graduate program would give you the opportunity to work with a very special professor. Um, That professor was um, Dr. Maya Angelou. And there is no world in which you're offered a graduate placement with Dr. Maya Angelou as your advisor, um, you know, helping you to write a thesis and that you say no, you don't say no. So I didn't say no. Um, I said no to the consultancy and I stayed and I did a, a master's in literature. And what I realized when I came out was, well, now I'm starting over. I have a master's in literature and it was a very fulfilling two years of just hippie immersion. Um, but I needed to find something that worked well. And so I was um, also getting married. And so I moved to Atlanta and found a job in um, PR running the editorial department. And what that meant, I learned, was that I was helping companies to find their voice and tell their story and create messaging that would resonate um, at the time in this very new environment called the internet. Um, because, you know, these were companies that were, you know, big old blue chip companies and there was this new wild world and they were like, we don't know who we're talking to. We don't know how to talk to them. So that became my job. And in the process of learning how to do that, um, you know, and this was 25 years ago, I just fell in love with the opportunity to kind of expose the best of brands and expose the best of people through storytelling. Um, you know, I grew up a musician and what I realized um, in, in starting my career was that as a musician, you learn how to listen mm-hmm. and you learn how to fit and reflect back the things that you're hearing. And the work that I get to do in brand is hundred percent that you know, I get to listen for a living and I get to reflect back the best of brands in ways that will connect and inspire um, the audiences that mean the most to them to do the things that they need to do. Um, Fortunately, I work with all really good companies, so we're not asking them to do anything really, you know, heavy. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that was really kind of how I stumbled into it. And, um, over the years, I've just been able to really hone that approach and be able to, um, you know, work with some amazing people. We're going to come back to that storytelling thing in a second, but it took every bone in my body not to be like, OMG, you studied with Dr. Matt. So tell us, what was it like studying with her? What was your biggest takeaway? Let's pause from the branding thing and focus on grad school for a second. You know, um, there there's, there's something that Jim Collins um, talks about called who luck. And Dr. Angela was my, one of my very first examples of who luck. 
Um, I had had a chance to take a class with her as an undergraduate, um, you know. At Wake Forest, by the way, right? Correct. She was a professor emeritus there. And, um, you know, it was one of those classes that was, you know, like three hours a week of singing and telling stories and learning how to write memoir. And, and it was just so inspiring. And I'm sitting here in my office, actually looking across the room at a framed photo of her. Um, and so I'm not sure how the universe conspired to pick me out of everybody she had ever interacted with and touched through the course of teaching these undergraduate classes. But she was my who luck and, and somehow she picked me. Um, I was certainly not the best student. Um, I, I was maybe the most diligent, but working with her was, it was a couple things. It was a lesson in remembering that no matter how big and important and world-changing and sparkling a person seems, they're still a person. Um, she taught us a phrase, it was a paraphrase from a philosopher named Terence that said, you know, I'm human, therefore anything human cannot be alien to me. And she lived that out. So, you know, she was this amazing force and yet we would drink tea in her apartment and talk about books, you know, at the same time, she was terrifying, um, but not because she was this amazing, you know, human force, but because she was my thesis advisor and she was editing my work. And so once you've had Dr. Angelo edit your work, pretty much you can write anything for anybody and they're going to come to you with their edits and you're going to be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Whatever. You know, Is she a really hard editor. She was a really hard editor because she cared deeply. And in the process of doing that, she honed me um, as a practitioner of my craft, but she also helped me to grow callous and grit and thick skin and to not take edits personally, um, but to see them as something that was being offered as caring um, and now as an editor myself, when I'm working with writers, um, I'm very, very careful to tell them on the front end, I'm a hard editor, but it's because I care so much about you and about your voice and about what you are trying to do in the world. Mm. Wow. That I just can't, I'm still just in shock. I read that in your bio and was like, I hope we get to talk about it. And I'm so glad it came up. Isn't it interesting the people that you touch along life and how these, you call them who opportunities? What did, what were the, what was the saying? It's a phrase that um, Jim Collins, who's an amazing business consultant and writer has coined and it's called who luck. And what does that mean? It really means that along the course of your life, um, as you just said, there are going to be people who are almost like representations of inflection points. So if I think back um, throughout my life at the, the times when my life changed fundamentally um, and, and you know, either turned course or I crossed through a gateway, um, I think about you know, the people attached. That's my who luck. It's you know, Dr. Angelo, it's my husband. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, um, my first mentor in my, in my job who encouraged me to lean into this unusual 
um, sort of job role that, that didn't really have a clear path, but I was going to do it anyway, you know, those kinds of things. Wow. What a, thank you for sharing those experiences. Do you have a favorite thing that she edited that you remember really vividly? I mean, obviously my published dissertation, um, would have to be the big one, but I will say I was cleaning out, um, a bookshelf not too long ago. Um, and I came across just a paper that I'd written that was a story, um, about my mom and my own sort of matrilineal kind of progress. Um, and it kind of did inform what my dissertation became, but she had edited that paper and in it, she just said, you're developing as a scholar. And that just was rocket fuel for me. Every time I now, you know, now that I know that that is there, I remembered that that was there. I'm like, okay, anytime I'm feeling insecure about my ability as, you know, an almost 50 year old, you know, person in professional life, I'm going to go back to that and be like, okay, I'm developing as a scholar. <laughs> yeah. 20 years later, it's still there. Oh, what a cool story. Okay. So you have this, fast forward, you get through your graduate degree, you move to Atlanta to get married, you are making a place for yourself in this job, and you really focused on the power of storytelling. Yep. What does that look like for individuals? You've talked about it in blue chip companies that were trying to figure out how to tell their stories on the internet in the early days. What can we as listeners take away from that and telling our personal stories or our brand storytelling? I, I love that you asked that question. Um, so when I work with individuals thinking about your personal storytelling, your brand storytelling, um, there are a few things that I always start with. One is, you know, what are you best at? And what does the world mean most from you? Mm -hmm. And when you get that on paper, and it's absolutely critical that you get it on paper. This can't just be a chit chat, right? When you put it on paper, it begins to be real. And so, you know, what are you best at? What does the world need most from you? Um, and how does that inform how you spend your time personally and in service to others and professionally? And you start to cultivate this story that has kind of a purpose at the center. And then, you know, you can think back to what were those inflection points in your history that shaped who you are today? You know, it might be who luck. Um, it might be what happened when you decided one college over another. Um, or it might be when you became a parent, you know, it might be a combination of that whole timeline, but, you know, let's get those big moments on the timeline, those big sparkling moments that, you know, took you from a, a lump of coal and compressed, 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 and began to shape you into the diamond you are. Um, and then from there, I think I often will ask people, when you're out in the world, what do you want to help other people to feel and think and do. And in asking those questions, you begin to find your voice and you begin to find um, the way that your story comes into contact with your whole ecosystem, the rest of your world, right? Um, all of that together really is sort of the recipe for creating, you know, biography and um, even a lexicon for yourself that makes 
every communication just really distinctly yours. It sounds kind of like a personal mission statement if we relate this to a board or something. Is that along those same lines? Certainly will inform that. Yeah, that first question of what does the world need most from you and what do you do best, that should shape your personal mission statement or your personal you know, purpose statement. For me, for example, it, it is to um, you know, bring out the best in others so that they can achieve their goals. That's my work. It is how I parent my children, you know? Um, so, and it took a long time to really just get to that. But um, yeah, that is where that begins. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Why, why is it important for us to be able to articulate our personal brand? I know we're nearing the end of the year and there's the time of resolutions coming in January and this will be a December aired episode. What are the important aspects that, why do we need to develop that statement, oh. that brand? Oh my gracious. Um, you know, that's such a great question. And I think it comes down to a couple things. Um, first and foremost, <laughs> let's all just, let's all just start by admitting that we don't keep resolutions, right? Right. Okay. So resolutions are great. They are, they're excellent exercises in, you know, aspiration and even being motivated by the things that we envy and, and admire in others, right? It, it's great. It's a great exercise. Now, is it sustainable? Usually no. Um, If you begin with really getting deep into, hey, this is who I am, and this is my purpose or my mission statement, this is how I am showing up in the world, and you use that as a touch point for all those things that you say, you know what, in this next year, I want to do this thing. Now you have you have kind of, I hate, I hate to use the word North Star because I feel like it's a little overused, but you have a touchstone. You have a way of saying, is this true to me? What value does it really create for myself and for my community and for my work and my family? Um, it doesn't allow you to be arbitrary with your resolutions and your goals. It gives them some, some harness. I love that. And so as we're developing these statements and figuring out those questions, what are you best at? What do you want the world? What are you bringing to the world? That will help us as we enter the new year in, in the direction we're going. I hope so. <laughs> you, you talk too about this idea of purpose-led branding. Does that tie back to the story? How does What's the difference between brand, like the storytelling and the purposing? So there, we are at a point where um, this, this phrase purpose-led branding is almost being overused to the point of losing its meaning, right? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of companies are showing up and saying, we're purpose-led, you know? Um, so it, it's really, without getting too technical, um, you have to think about first and foremost, as a brand, who are your stakeholders? It's not just who are your shareholders, right? It's not just who's making money with what we do, right? Businesses exist to make money. Mm-hmm. The nonprofits don't necessarily, but they're still a business. Okay, mm-hmm. so think about it in that regard. So if every organization, every brand is going out into the world and saying, we exist to do this thing, right? And most brands will say, we have a purpose statement. We have a vision statement. We have you know, ways in which we bring these things to life, core values, you know, tenets. Um, you have to question how is this good for 
the people in our organization. How is this good for the people who own our business? Um, and that might be, if it's a civic business, it might be taxpayers. If it's a funded business, it might be a VC firm. If, if it's a public business, it may be the people who hold stock, right? It could be anything. And then how are the, how is this valuable for the people in our constituencies? So that might be our buyers. It might be the community. So it really takes this idea of an organization existing to do something and it finishes the sentence. It says, we as an organization exist to do something for these people, for the people in our company, for the people in our community. And at that point, what you have to do is get to the human level and understand what is valuable to the people in your company. What is valuable to the people in your constituency and your community and begin to answer the question of why are we valuable to them? How do we match up with what they need in a way that is actually true to us? And God help you, don't just say the words. If you are a purpose-driven brand, you don't get to talk about what you do until you're actually doing it because otherwise your virtue posturing, the world is gonna see through it especially our younger generations, they are paying attention. If you show up and you say you stand for something, you have better stood for it first and earned the right to say you stand for it. You don't talk about it first because otherwise you're going to lose trust. You're going to lose relationships. That is what purpose-driven branding really is. It's about the relationships, being authentically who you are, and almost telling the story of what you're already doing. Exactly. I'm so glad you're having this conversation. My, the book I'm working on goes to the the publisher on the 1st of December. And it's so interesting because our first chapter is what is the value of your – we talk about choirs. What is the value of your choir and how do you define that for a variety of audiences? And then later in the, in the book, I write a chapter on the marketing lingo for choir people. Like what is a brand? And brand really is your personality. So how do you see some of the best – purpose-led brands, how do you see them putting that out there? What are some of the attributes that you see? So I think, you know, you actually just nailed two things. Um, I think it's very perceptive. You have to understand what is your distinct voice and you have to understand what is your distinct lexicon, right? Mm -hmm. Certainly you're speaking an industry lexicon, but you're also owning your language. And so those two things are really, really important. And if you think about it through those lenses, there are two purpose-led brands that really come to mind for me as standout examples. One is Ben and Jerry's, the other is Patagonia. Um, if you look cool. at Ben and Jerry's, I know. Um, if you look at Ben and Jerry's, you see a company that is more and more becoming a public activist organization that happens to make ice cream, right? They are telling their activism story and communicating that strength of purpose through the products they make and the profits that those products generate go to supporting those causes that they say they stand for. And they are unafraid to have a voice and a lexicon that is just unabashedly activist. 
Mm. So I would say that that is one great example. Patagonia is another. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, this campaign probably will be about a month old. But Patagonia just ran a campaign that is meant to be read forwards and backwards. And what it basically is, is like, there's no hope. The planet is so far gone. There's much we can do, you know, and, and it, it is this line by line, almost a poem and read top to bottom. It sounds hopeless. And then you read it bottom to top and it is completely op about optimism. It is completely about together at foundation we are here wow. to solve the problems of the world. So Patagonia is showing up as this brand saying, we are not going to ignore our ecological challenges. We are going to be a solution in them. And that takes recognizing that the problems are really big, but we are here to solve them. And so in so doing as a purpose-driven brand, they are coming out and saying with the products we make, we're not gonna do any harm we are going to invite people in to being a part of this solution because by buying these products, you are avoiding the kinds of behaviors that created many of these problems. And so they're bringing all of their stakeholders, all of their constituents, their community into this effort to make the world a cleaner, healthier place. Wow. Okay, question. What is yeah. it like working with Ben and Jerry's in Patagonia, do you get to work with them or are these just things you've seen? Yeah, no, these are just things I've seen. I will say um, I have had the opportunity to do, um, to have a few exchanges with Ben and Jerry's and, you know, it is really just um, something that I spend a lot of time doing. I belong to a few different organizations, including one called Business of Purpose that is just, you know, they're just gathering places for people who work in brand who care, you know, international, um, who care about the bigger impact of the work we're doing. You know, that's a perfect segue into what I feel is like this third amazing tier that you're bringing to our conversation. We've talked about telling our, st our story as our own personal brand, connecting that brand to examples of purpose-led branding. And now you're talking about coming together in organizations and skill-based volunteerism. What is, define skill-based volunteerism for us and why is that a passion of yours? Oh my gosh. So skill-based volunteerism is probably something that most people are doing and they maybe aren't even aware that they're doing it, right? It is using the skills that you have that you would normally monetize in a job, as a freelancer, whatever. And you are donating that time to support an organization that needs it. It's that simple. So, you know, um, I am really, really fortunate to be a um, partner and vice president um, of, we would say, a purpose-led um, digital agency called Dragon Army here in Atlanta. And we actually have three kind of sister nonprofits that we have stood up. And they are all skills-based volunteerism um, organizations. The first one is called 48 and 48. And it has become an international organization um, over the last, I think we are eight years in. <laughs> We have been able to catalyze volunteers in marketing and digital skills. So um, website building, app building, um, you know, digital marketers like social media experts um, and, and um, you know, writers and uh, UI or design specialists. 
to create nonprofit websites. So it began as like 48 hours, 48 nonprofits, 48 websites. We're going to just do this thing, right? Now we've been able to catalyze so many volunteers to use their professional skills to donate their time that we've exceeded like $30 million in services given around the world to nonprofits who've been able to then do more good because they got the marketing resources they need to be able to resonate with volunteer base and the people they serve and donors, most important mm-hmm. donors. So that's one example. Another is called Ripples of Hope and it is a business development accelerator for other high growth nonprofits. So what we've learned over time is that, you know, many nonprofits are led by these incredibly passionate um, executive directors and founders who have so much depth of knowledge in their area of giving. So that might be homelessness or- I'm feeling very seen over here. Like I feel like you are seeing through me as an artist in not-for-profits. I'm like, yes, I know. Lots about choir. Keep talking. Exactly. But where they sometimes lack skill is in foundational business, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you build a board? How do you structure your financials so that if you've got, you know, institutional donors who have to- have reports on how you're spending the money, right? Mm-hmm. You can do all of those things. So we're going and we're saying, okay, we've got these business skills and we've developed a curriculum and we've got a cohort of nonprofits who are with us for two years. And we are bringing together experts from our community who are donating their time to teach things like grant writing. You know, that these nonprofits just really absolutely have to have skills in, but They've been so busy giving of themselves. They've never had the time to develop it. So that is another example. And the third is a, is a diversity initiative um, that is bringing together um, marketing and, and advertising agencies in Atlanta um, to use our skills and our relationships with large brands to say the diversity and the population of the individuals in our nonprofit, or I'm sorry, in our agencies should match that of our city. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a groundbreaking thought, right? Why don't mm-hmm. we make sure that the people in our companies match the people in our community? Unfortunately, they don't. And so we're using our marketing and advertising skills to connect with other brands to say, hey, this is important. Join us. We're rallying. We're messaging the value of this. And we're getting people on board to sign a, a commitment to this effort and its pipelines and its hiring initiatives and its training initiatives. Um, so, you know, I think that, that those are those are three examples of skill-based volunteerism that are obviously very close to me because they're things that I do. But I think for most people, um, they don't probably are not fortunate enough to have a job that allows them to divide their time between for-profit and nonprofit work. So it might look like being on a board of directors or advisors for a nonprofit um, Mm -hmm. or signing up for a committee to knit scarves or, you know, care for animals. We, we, all of us who have pets, that's a skill. Mm -hmm. It can be anything. It ties back so nicely to where we started with this conversation. How you got into all of this was 
really through the literature and storytelling lens and through the ability to tell a story, you can sh- you can develop your own personal um, brand and storytelling and those, what you said, touchstones to go back to. And you can really invest and find and support brands that are purpose-driven along your same lines and then use what you're good at to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. If someone has not found their place for volunteering or hasn't figured out the best way to become a skill-based volunteer, what are the first steps for starting to volunteer? I don't know if they should jump right to a board, but like, what would you say? Yeah, I wouldn't jump right to a board. Um, and, and they probably couldn't. Um, I think, you know, boards tend to be interesting creatures um, and they often are, you know, by nomination and, and everything. So I would say that the best first place to start is Ask the people you know who you admire, who are already volunteering, what are they doing? Where are they showing up? You know, um, if you are in a, a colleague, a group of colleagues, you know, say you're a developer and you're going to developer meetups or you're a musician and you are playing in, you know, a local symphony, um, you know, whatever your kind of cohort or community looks like, Talk to the people in it, ask them if they're volunteering and where, and if you could just come along, try things out and see what sticks. You know, the great thing about volunteering is it's a little bit like the conversation you and I were having about writing a book, right? You write the book or or running a marathon, you finish the marathon and you're either going to get that done and you're going to go, I can't wait for the next one. It was really hard. It really challenged me and kept me on my toes, but that was great. I can't wait to do it again. And I'm going to try to do it even better next time. That's how you know you're landing in a volunteer spot that's right for you. And if you don't, don't feel bad about saying this isn't for me because it's going to be for somebody. Mm-hmm. What for people who are in this time where it's it's busy getting back into a quote routine, mm-hmm. what are the perks of volunteering? Why Why should you give a skill that you could get paid for into another organization for free? I love that question. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think one is because there is a fulfillment that comes from volunteerism that might not exist in your job, right? There are studies that um, have proven that generosity lights up a part of your brain that nothing else does. And, um, you know, that it can actually not cure, but provide relief from despair and anxiety and depression. So it's just good for you. And it doesn't take a ton of time. It doesn't have to, right? I mean, it certainly can, (laughs) but it doesn't have to. Um, It might be an hour a month and that feel good, you know, kind of sensation you get from your brain um, is going to last. So that is one reason. Another is particularly for those who were impacted by COVID and there was job loss. Um, And we've seen this a lot with working moms. Um, You know, if you have had to step out of the working world, the marketplace, volunteering in an area, especially a skills-based area that you have capacity in and capability in, or that you really want to develop is an incredibly good way of building your network. Why wouldn't you want to find a job with really great people Well, really great people tend to give their time and volunteer. And I'm not saying that because I do that, but I'm saying that through years of meeting these people. It's one of the things that have kept me in it. It's humbling how good 
the people are who are coming together to give their time and skills into things. So if you're looking for a job, why not look for a job among those people, right? Mm. Um, I would say that those are probably the two biggest reasons. I feel like you just, I mean, I love volunteering. We're in a rotary club down here in, in Savannah and that's really fulfilling, but I love that you're saying, just go try it. And if you don't find the place that's your best fit, keep looking. Maybe yeah. you're in a rut and that can get you through it. Sure. I feel like I could talk to you all day and I feel like I have 5 million more questions for you, but we're at that point where I think I want to kind of encapsulate this and run off to our, our end of question podcast things because this has been so much and I want the listener to be able to listen again with paper in hand and write these, these notes down as we wrap up the 2021 year. What do you think when you look at what you do, you said you're not a serial entrepreneur, but yet like you kind of are. What do you think really ties it all together. If you were to create that red thread that used to go through the Band-Aid things where you would pull the Band-Aid with the red thread, what's the thread that connects your literacy background, your storytelling, your not-for-profit love, your love for volunteerism and branding and storytelling? What ties it all together? Um, I think that um, that red thread, I love that phrase. Um, I've always called it connective tissue, but I love a good rhyme, so I may steal it. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think it is um, that I so deeply value being able to listen to other people and to help tell stories that make their lives and their world better. I, I know that sounds maybe overly aspirational, um, but it's the truth. It's an honor to be able to listen to people and to help to be their voice. And um, it has just been a, a, a humble honor of mine from the moment I started my career. If people want to connect with you and find out more about your not-for-profits or what you do with um, Drag Dragon Army, did I get that right? That's right. Yes. Okay. If they want to connect with you, what's the best way to find you? Are you on social media? I am. Um, probably the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Um, just okay. spell Kuramoto, um, and or you can look up Dragon Army. Um, that's probably easier to spell. Um, I am on other social media platforms, but I'm kind of old, so I'm best at LinkedIn. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'll make sure I link those in the episode notes below. There's been so many great takeaways from this. I look forward to seeing what the listeners. Uh, let's wrap it up with some good Illuminate end of podcast questions. What is the best or most recent book that you have read? The best um, and one of the most recent books I have read is called The Book of Joy. And it is a conversation between uh, Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. It is amazing. Is it a hard read or a long read? It's not particularly hard or long. No. It's just really good. Okay. The, jo- awesome. the Book <laughs> of Joy. Fabulous. Who or what is illuminating or inspiring you right now? <laughs> Well, um, I actually just came off a month-long working sabbatical, um, and that was a time for me to um, shift from being somewhat output-oriented to being somewhat input-oriented, and so I just fueled my mind and my soul and my heart with time to think and learn and write, so um, that's continuing to illuminate me. <laughs> so the, pers- the personal time to kind of pour back in after you've poured so much out, you had a month-long working sabbatical? I did. It was amazing. I highly recommend it. <laughs> that's amazing. So you just took a month and just, what did you read? What did you do during this time? 
yeah, I read, I learned, I developed skill sets that I felt like I wanted to develop. I worked on writing a little bit of my own book. Um, and I, and I just really connected with my family. I love that. The connection part is so important. Month-long sabbatical. I'm going to add that to my list of life goals. <laughs> You've told us about your three not-for-profits, and I want to know more about how we connect connect with those, but what's an organization that you'd like to illuminate? So I had to think long and hard about this, and I think that the one that I would want to illuminate is an organization called New Story. Um, they are um, 3D printing homes and now entire communities around the world where people have always lived in just abject poverty, um, you know, living in lean-tos. Um, and by doing what they're doing, they are basically solving the bottom layer of Maslow's hierarchy. They're setting up entire communities to be able to move forward and thrive and be healthier and be educated. And, um, and, and they're changing entire economies um, one person at a time. So it's an organization we've been involved with for a long time as a family. Um, and it's just, it continues to blow my mind the extent to which they are making change at scale. Wow. And I love that through everything you've said so far, it's evident that the human element remains that centerpiece for you. <laughs> and I can't wait to go explore a new story. All right. What is the one message you want to send to anyone listening right now? Be kind. I mean... That's really it. Whether it's walking down the street or driving in, in traffic and not getting frustrated with people because you just don't know what they're going through. Um, be kind to them. Be kind to yourself. You know, If you are burning out and you don't want to admit that you're burning out, admit that you're burning out because it's the first step in showing yourself some kindness. Be kind to your kids when they're bouncing off the walls and going bonkers because they've been having to do school from home for 20 months or whatever, you know, just, it costs nothing and it will take you so far. Just be kind. Be kind, volunteer, be kind as you tell your story. These are great things. Rochelle, thank you so much for coming and doing the Illuminate podcast with me. It's been so much fun to talk to you like this. It was absolutely a pleasure. It will be the highlight of my day. I mean, thank you for asking me to be here. There you have it, my friends, our conversation with Rochelle Kuramoto and how we keep people at the center of our purpose. Can you believe we talked about Dr. Maya Angelou, Ben Jerry's, Patagonia, all in one dynamite conversation? I hope that this has given you some thoughts as we move into the end of 2021 and look ahead to 2022. You are powerful, my friend, and you have such a unique story. I hope you know how important you are. We hope this has illuminated your day so that you can shine as bright as you deserve to shine. If you want more, please join us over at patreon.com slash the illuminate pod. Like and review us so we can get to illuminate more souls. But above all, know that we're really thankful for you. And I'm really thankful that you listened. Have a great day.